0: All right, let me pray. Father, we come before in Jesus' name. Please fill me with your spirit. Uh, Thank you for the miracles in this room. Thank you for all the answers to prayer. Open up our hearts, Lord. We renounce Satan, his will for our lives. We collectively reject him, renounce him, just uh, refuse his influence in this place, and we welcome you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We want to hear from you, Creator God. So speak to our hearts and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, introduction to the olive stuffer. You're like, what the heck? Is this the right place? Okay, why, why did I put that on there? Well, my father just died. One of the most beautiful funeral experiences i've ever seen one of the most beautiful experiences i've ever had with my family my father i've told you this multiple times son of a drunk who died when my dad was 14 years old um i don't want to go into all the details not great potential when he was young but he met jesus and he found out that jesus just like all of them Like when we come to him, he reveals we have gifts. And my dad happened to have this amazing ability to sing. So he surrenders to Jesus and he ends up going all over the planet, literally blessing tens of thousands of people. And you think I'm exaggerating and I'm not. And I'll explain later. I got to go to Moody's Founders Week in 2017. It's this huge conference where thousands of people come. And from the podium, people are pointing out my dad saying Van trap Van trap influenced my life best New york Times best-selling author, head of huge worldwide mission organization um, and God used my father to just was he perfect No, not by a long did he have a lot of you know things that God was working on until the day we died but he loved Jesus Jesus loved him his life was uh, awesome, hugely you know massive impact on others. All his children love the Lord, no divorces. Uh, from his point on in our family, five kids, four marriages, um, you know, pretty darn good marriage right here. Uh, <laughs> almost 30 years. That, that's not where he came from. But Jesus changed everything. So um, I'm, I'm bringing this up because this olive stuff idea, I got it from my dad. Because although my dad was committed to Jesus, he was a, a goofball. <laughs> And some of you who know me know I can kind of be goofy, and I got that from my dad. And uh, one of the things he used to do when we were little kids is, um, let me see here. If I was going, we lived in California when I was younger, and if I was like going by the bay or something, and I saw a ship that looked like that, I would say to my dad, dad, what is that? And he would always say, "It's an olive stuffer." So the whole point of all that <laughs> machinery is to put the little whatever <laughs> spices and stuff. No, no, no. It's not some person that just grabs a table and stuffs it in there and throws it in the jar. It's not some machine. It's just a little kind of low tech thing. It's not a no. It's it's this cutting edge technology of this massive ship here is all used to get those seasonings into olives and it was my dad just you know like dad's do you hold up a car a card my sister was telling us at the at the funeral you hold up a card when your child is two and you say dog (laughs) cock-a-doodle-doo right because that's what dads do because they're goofy dads are just ridiculous now you don't do that too much, or your kid ends up in, you know, the special needs class or institutionalized. But dads just have a little fun, and in the midst of being a good dad, you get a good chuckle out of it. Why? Why? Why can't? It? Why will a kid fall for that? You can do it with any kid. Tim, do you ever do that? Yes. <laughs> Tim had to, but we'll pray for you later. And, um, and just something about dads that. I don't know. Maybe we just we have to do it we just because it's so much fun to yeah watch our, watch our kids do that. But uh, I'm going to I'm going to talk about childlikeness, And I'll start with this verse. But Jesus talked quite a bit about it. If the Bible says something once eh, could be important, says it twice. Hmm, you better perk up, says it three times. Wow. That's you can start building doctrine at this point, four times, five times. In the book of Matthew, he talks, and I'm only gonna to stick to Matthew, he talks about childlikeness within 10 chapters three times. Within just 10 chapters, like 10. If I mention, you know, I went out with 10 people this week and three of you guys had talked about childlikeness, which goes, you know, Ted's really into that childlikeness theme. Jesus was into this childlikeness theme. And there's something about olive stuffers that I'll explain childlikeness a little bit about what Jesus is getting at. There's also some aspects of childlikeness that uh, he's not talking about. So we need to figure out what he is talking about. But Jesus said this, um, and he, he's also, Jesus is really just an attractive, cool guy. And uh, I love kids, and he loved kids. And I think that's really cool when a strong man, not say I'm strong, but hey, I'm not. I'm <laughs> a little pushover. But anyway, when a grown man who shouldn't be paying attention to kids, when he pays attention to kids, I think that's really awesome. I think that's really cool. When Jesus was in the kids, he liked kids, and the disciples weren't. They're tough. They're sophisticated. They're like, Get out of here, kids. You know, kids need to be quiet. They need, to, you know, draw, not drawing attention to themselves. He's like, no, bring them here. I'm gonna play with them. I am see you throw them up in the air. And so said some children were brought to him so that he would lay his hands on them and pray. And their disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, "Leave the children alone. Don't forbid them to come to me." For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after laying hands on them, he departed from there. Now here he's talking about literal kids, but there's something about children that at other points he said, unless you become like a child, you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to be uh, able to have a relationship with God. You're not going to find the blessed life. You're not going to find the God-blessed life that uh, Matt was talking about. You're not going to be in that relationship where you pray and God cares about getting your couch to your house on time or cares about healing or guiding you or whatever. Unless you can figure out how to what Jesus is talking <clears throat> about, about this child likeness, you're not going to have that kind of dynamic, cool relationship with God. Be religious. Of course, everybody's religious. Everybody on the planet is religious. A lot of us are a cult of one. We all have our ideas and we'll all argue till we're blue in the face that we're right. But there's a way to do it. And Jesus says part of it is being childlike. <clears throat> so what does that have to do with all of stuffers? Uh, a child is totally open. They have not constructed their worldview. They're trying to figure it out. They know they don't know. So they'll follow mom around until she's ready to pull her hair out. Why? 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 Right? They're constructing their worldview. They're hungry for information. They're not pointing the finger and saying, we should do it this way. We should do it that way. Now they do a little bit of that, but they, they get in trouble because they don't have a clue. But there's this, there's this beautiful aspect of a child that's hungry to learn. Uh, and most of us get to a certain point in our life. It's interesting that in Jewish culture, it's 13 years old, where they say you're, you're now an adult and you have your bar mitzvah and now you have your bat mitzvah, um, where you become a child of the covenant. You become, you become uh, responsible for your actions, et cetera. But it is, it is interesting around that age where young people start thinking, you know, I used to trust mom and dad, but I think I got things figured out pretty well. You know, I did, I did just get through seventh grade, so... <laughs> Think and you know I don't even know who the big stars are anymore. But you know whoever the the singer on television, you know she did she did recommend this product, so it must be the best one. Or my sport, my favorite sports star, you know he did he did he did uh, catch a touchdown in the playoffs, so he must know about you know the geopolitical situation on planet Earth or <laughs> health. <laughs> you know she's a beautiful supermodel, so she must understand about you know health and diet and all this and even though she just completed high school and you know it, no it, not, anyway kids in the teenage years start thinking they got to figure out and they start arguing a little child doesn't do that so much They'll do it a little. but they really want mom and dad to pour into them that's why they say, hey, Dad, what's that? I have no idea what that is, Dad. None whatsoever. What is it? And Dad can go, <laughs> <laughs> it's an olive stuff. <laughs> All then. Now, my poor sister at the funeral said she didn't figure out until well, she was 18 years old <laughs> that every huge mechanical thing we would pass by, you know, oil refinery, whatever, that they weren't just stuffing (laughs) olives (laughs) and she was with the guy that she's now been married to for i don't know how many years pushing 40 probably and she just busted out laughing like i can't believe why because she was childlike and open and vulnerable and so there's something unless you can do that again do you know what a fool is in the bible i know it all You know what a wise person is? A wise person is like a bee going from flower to flower to flower, saying, where can I find wisdom? Who knows more than I do? Now, they're not gullible. They're not suckers. But they know that there's an endless amount of information to gather. And to become wise, you actually have to stop and come to a point where you realize you are a moron, a raging crazy lunatic. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Like all of your answers are wrong. And you have to get back to that place of a child. Like, um, well, I had a worldview. Then I ran into Jesus and I basically trashed it. And so I'm following Jesus around. And I'm saying, Jesus, what's that? Jesus, how do I do that? How should I respond to this? Hey, Jesus, I was abused when I was a child. What do I do about that? Hey, Jesus, my, my spouse cheated on me. What do I do? Hey, Jesus, here's a pile of money. How should I think about money? Hey, Jesus, what do I do about my future? I got fears coming up. How should I think about that? And you, if, you, if you study the Gospels, he'll answer everything. He'll answer everything. He said, truly, I say to you, unless you change and become like this kid, you're not getting into the kingdom of heaven. Unless you stop being a know-it-all, unless you stop telling me what to do about your pain, whoever will humble himself like this child, he's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he's open to learning new things. I didn't say you didn't go to church. I didn't say you didn't have a degree in theology. Who did Jesus have the hardest time with? The PhDs and the pastors and the know-it-alls and the Bible college professors that's just i'm going to show you another quote here where it says these people can't find me why because they got all the answers have you ever come to that place where you realize you don't have any answers or you say well i've got some answers jesus but they're all on the table they might all be nonsense if i happen to get one right then maybe that was just sheer luck but I've, it's they're all on the table and i just want to hear from you and then you ransack the bible a lot of us were taught that Christianity was say some little magic prayer or go through some little magic ceremony and a bunch of rituals you don't understand. Uh, somehow that makes God happy and you're going to get into heaven. That is nonsense. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, which means learners. We are saved and we do say a little prayer. We do go through some little rituals. But it's so that we'll become childlike. That's the whole point. And so then Jesus can teach us, Jesus, what's marriage about? What's raising kids about? What's, what's, how should I handle my money? What, how should I deal with my enemies? And uh, I was listening to, I was just thinking about the Gospel of John this morning. So I listened to a whole, you know, several chapters in the Gospel of John. And basically, what he's doing is when he confronts people, whether it's Nicodemus, who was the teacher in Israel, I mean, this is a religious brainiac. Uh, Jesus basically was there to blow up his worldview and say, unless you're born again, he, he, first of all, told this guy all the stuff he doesn't understand. And he says, unless you're born again, which is very similar to what he's saying here, unless you start all over and become like a little child, um, you're never going to see the kingdom of heaven. This is in, this is in chapter three. And then he meets uh, the woman at the well in chapter four. And this is just an immoral woman who's a foreigner. And she's had five marriages and now she's shacking up with some dude who's not her husband. And Jesus isn't throwing stones at her or anything. She's trying to argue about, is my religion right? Is your religion right? Is is the temple supposed to be in Mount Gerizim with the Samaritans or is it Jerusalem with the Jews? And Jesus is like, lady, your problem is sin. All right, you're hooking up with all these losers because you're insecure and you think you're gonna find meaning and protection or whatever in a man and they just keep running you over like a truck and leaving you desolate, whatever. Jesus is like, if you knew what I had, Lady, if you knew what I had, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. Because what you're thirsting for, I got it. So he blows up her worldview, and then she surrenders to him, and then she runs the town, gets all these guys. And they, they all run out there, because all the guys know this woman. And they all run out there, and they say to her, it's not because of what you say anymore. This guy blew up our worldview, too. And we're going to listen to what he has to say. And Jesus hung out with them for a couple of days. But you can just, just go through the Gospel of John. All these things that's like blown up people's worldview. Stop acting like you know. You don't know. So let me forgive you. Let me change your heart. And then just follow me and learn how it works. That's the beauty of childlikeness. Now, something else Jesus says, there's a danger in being childlike. Because your dad can tell you that the big ship is an olive stuffer. But you can also be deceived by bad religion. So some of you may have been in that very vulnerable position at some point. Been open to teaching. And then been deceived, been led into a false oppressive religion or oppressive relationship or into some sin that friends led you into. And so Jesus says, look, we all have to come to this place. A lot of times we come to this place when we've hit the wall, when we've destroyed our lives. We've hit the wall and we're really open. Well, the devil will sneak in and he'll come with a false religion or he'll come with a false prophet or he'll just come with some pleasure or sin or relationship because you're vulnerable for answers and so Jesus then says, you have to become like a child to get into the kingdom, but he also says, whoever receives a child like this in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it's better that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck, and he be drowned in the depths of the sea. So there is something very dangerous about putting yourself in that position and saying, I'm open, I need to be taught, you've got to make sure you're finding the right source. And... The source is Jesus. He is the source. There's never been anybody like him. Stack him up against any other religious leader in the history of the world. He was not a moral teacher. He so outshined Muhammad and Buddha and all those others. People that say, oh, you're being mean, you're being judgmental. I'm saying, you just haven't done your homework. Jesus, his beauty, his glory, his awesomeness so eclipses them. That they they don't even deserve to be, you know, in the same room or in the same comparison. He so outshines every human being who's ever lived. Why? Because he's God with skin on But you can get suckered into following one of these other religious leaders, and it's not going to lead you to that place of peace and rest and joy and, and all this stuff. So Jesus says, you need to come to that place. But he also says, when people do come to that place, there are deceivers out there. And he warns in Matthew 24, even false Christs. And so how do we know which Christ is a real Christ? Praise the Lord, we've got the Bible. And nobody can really fudge on the Bible. Even the false groups can't mess with the Bible. All they can do is keep you out of it. That's why the false groups don't want you to study it. Should I be honest or should I just soft? pedal things? That's why Catholics don't want their people reading it. That's why Mormons don't want you studying it. That's why the Jehovah's Witnesses only want you to be reading their interpretation of it. I'm serious, a false group, because nobody can mess with it. And and that's a sermon for another day. It is the best preserved book on the planet, bar none. There's nothing even close. Uh, The the other ancient uh, books, like Greek books, we have 5,000 ancient manuscripts, significant ones, to help us to to figure out what the, the New Testament, the original wording was. The closest second doesn't even have a dozen. I mean, there's nothing close to the Bible. So we have the Bible, so we need to follow Jesus. But we have so many of his words. And even the false groups, you can even find the true Jesus in any of their Bibles because nobody can mess with it or everyone's going to blow the whistle and say, you're perverting the Bible. Now, the the, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have tried. But everybody knows that the New World Translation is a bunch of baloney, and they've distorted it. This sounds like I'm being mean. Do your homework. But if you have a Catholic friend, say, hey, we'll study your Bible. I don't have, have trouble studying your Bible. Or you have, you know, even, even a Mormon, they, they can't pervert the Bible. They just don't want you to read it. So they try to get you away from the Bible and the Pearl of the Great Price, whatever. But we can know the true Jesus because we got the Bible. We got his first followers. They wrote letters. They wrote four Gospels, four stories of his life, whole bunch of letters by his closest followers. We, we have enough of what Jesus said that we can actually find him. So we need to become childlike. And then we need to ransack that book. Not, and we're not, we're not gambling. All right, I see a five. I'll raise you two. All right, can we do a 60-40 here? Okay, how about I marry the person I want? I do the job I want. And, uh, you know, I, I do a little drinking on the side. You'll get Sundays. You'll get a tithe. Whatever. No, it's a child. It's Jesus. I'm as dumb as a rock. I need you to kind of train me across the board how to do this life thing so unless you do that you're not getting in and you're not being blessed and sometimes we get in being very childlike I don't know how to be saved you get saved and I say Jesus I'll take it from here you can technically be saved and still have a miserable life Says no get in as a child and stay childlike and hungry and keep learning (laughs) so let's see what else do I got here just another passage that really changed my life No, that's later. Here's another one that's worth talking about. Slightly different analogy here. Jesus had great analogies. <clears throat> so some of his disciples, this is not about child likenesses. This is just, I'm getting you to think about a different subject now. The disciples of John came to him. Now, John is a precursor of Jesus, and he's the one that pointed everyone towards Jesus and was getting everybody prepared for when Jesus came on the scene His disciples came up to Jesus asking, why do we and the Pharisees fast, your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the groom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. That doesn't really matter. All he's saying is, why are you guys doing it different than we're doing? it?" Jesus says this, no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. So, if you have it all coat, and uh, I don't know what, I don't even know what fabrics, fabrics shrink or whatever, but certain fabrics, when, when, after you wear them for a while and they get wet, they shrink. And if you put a new patch on them, that patch will shrink and then it will cause a worse rip. So, this is you can't take a patch, a new patch, put it on an old garment. The patch pulls away from the garment, a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Well, what's that all about? Well, wine expands and then the uh, um, skin hardens. If you put new wine in that skin, what's going to happen? It's going to expand, blow the thing up. So, if you want to, th- this is just what they did back in the day. They put wine in skins. If you get new wine, you got to put it in new skin that's still pliable. So, as that wine expands, the, the, the skin expands. Put the new wine in the old wineskins. You're going to blow it up. So uh, the wine's going to pour out. and The wineskins skins going to be ruined. You put new wine in the fresh wineskins. Both are preserved. What's Jesus talking about here? <clears throat> if you got it all figured out, the world, relationships, love, marriage, where your problems come from, how to solve your problems, you got it all figured out. You got no room for Jesus' opinion. You got no room for these new ideas that lead to new practices. If you're a know-it-all, which the Bible says is a fool. So these people come and say, look, we in the Pharisees, we're doing it this way. You guys are doing it that way. Jesus is basically saying, look, if you want to do it a new way because you have new ideas in your head, you need a new framework to put it into. And so what we're talking about here is this whole childlike thing. A child, like doesn't, a child doesn't have a framework that they have set in stone. They don't have an old wineskin that's got no flex to it. All they got is flex. Right? So Jesus says, hey, there are demonic spirits out there that are oppressing people. Some of the religious experts, actually some of the people that were controlling the temple in his day, they, they didn't believe in demonic spirits. So they were just not scientific like we are, and we know they're not around today. Uh, No, if Jesus said they're around, they're around. That's what a child does. Well, I've got a degree in science and psychology, so I know how it works. Okay, then you can't fit this idea into your wineskin. Jesus' opinion doesn't fit. Because if you put it, you either got to let his idea blow it up. You know, you you need a new container if you're going to think like Jesus thinks. And the problem is we're all know-it-alls. But I dare say this all of you in this room, and I'll always live with an exception. But then you'll think, well, I'm the exception, so I'm not listening. <laughs> no, assume you're not the exception. You think you got it figured out pretty good. Um, and that's why you can read the New Testament. Jesus will say, Forgive your enemies. And you'll say, Yeah, you're not talking about my ex. Right? He'll say, the Bible will say, give priority to the poor. None no, of no, our churches into the rich. We'll come up with these excuses as to why we don't have to. And we're really rejecting the teaching of Jesus. Why? Because we've got to figure it out. The New Testament says no sex before marriage. We figure out a way around it, right? The New Testament, the Bible clearly we don't lie. Well, how am I ever going to get into school? How am I ever going to get a promotion if I don't pad my resume? We come up with excuses. We've got to figure it out. Jesus says that our, our our psychological, so much of our psychological mayhem comes from our sinful actions and our sinful thoughts. No, it doesn't. It's physiological. I just need my minutes. I got it all figured out. So you go to a coffee shop. You got 20 people there. You got a Muslim woman in a burqa You got a fundamentalist, you know, Billy Bob from, from some church thinks the King James Bible is the, the end-all, be-all. You got some, you know... Uh, Someone a polyamorous girl behind the counter that's married to you know three dogs and a chicken and two men, and she reads Oprah's Winfrey's books for a spiritual enlightenment. Everybody in that coffee shop thinks they have the corner. They're the smartest person in the room. We all think we're the smartest person in the room. And, and a lot of times, where do my problems come from? We point at other people. Did that happened in the Garden of Eden. It got Eve and Adam, nowhere. Do you know why Eve sinned? She changed her worldview. The devil came along. She had a vision of God and things were going really well. And the devil said, No, God's like this. She took it in, led her to do something foolish. That's what happened. And what Jesus says is, No, your problem is you. Your problem is you. It's your worldview. You think your ex is your problem? Your ex isn't your problem. You're your problem. You would have never even gotten together with that guy if you were crazy. You're your problem. Do you think your anxiety just mugs you out of thin? No, your anxiety is chasing you down because you've betrayed so many people, you're afraid they're going to catch you. You're your problem. Let him blow up your worldview and say, all right, Jesus, I'm all yours. Where do my problems come from? Well, all that guilt and shame and feeling worthless, that's because you've done a lot of really bad things. And you've hurt a lot of really, you know, a lot of people. How about you own that stuff and ask me to forgive you and weep over it? It wasn't wasn't their fault. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't because the world's racist or because whatever. You're your problem. And the day we get that, it it doesn't mean that people haven't done things to you. They got to stand before God and he's going to tell them that they're their own problem. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7, right? Get the log out of your own eye, and then you're going to see clearly enough to be able to help somebody else. What is the log in your eye? you got serious issues, buddy. Stop pointing at everybody else and realize you're your own problem. Let him blow up your worldview. Jesus, how should I process this? How should I think about this? What should I be living for? What kind of a person... Should I even be thinking about, or at this point in my life, should I even be thinking about finding somebody? Am I too crazy and I would just damage them and they would damage me? Do I even have this? What, what kind of a person should I ultimately be pursuing? What is parenting? How does that work? How do I deal with my problems? How do I go through trials? I was betrayed. What should I do? Should I go hunt him down and kill him? What should I do, Jesus? No, I said, forgive him, Turn the other cheek, hand this to the Lord and watch him redeem this situation. I have tools, I have ways of doing things that have never crossed the radar screen of your mind, but you gotta be like a little child to get it. So uh, the wineskin thing, I think has to do with, a new idea won't fit into an old system. And if if you're locked down, every point at which you and I disagree, or you and the person next to you disagree, it's a clash of worldviews. There's some things that aren't important. I like chocolate, you like vanilla, who cares? But um, I'm gonna forgive that person who abused me. You're gonna stew in bitterness. Well, that's ultimately gonna destroy every relationship you ever get into. That's a big deal. That's a clash of worldviews. I understand why forgiveness is important and I've been taught how to do it. You haven't, you think that revenge is somehow gonna get you somewhere. That's a clash of worldviews. One of us is crazy. And one one of these ways of viewing things is gonna lead to destruction. I think that uh, we should walk in sexual purity until marriage and someone else thinks they should play the field. Those are pretty significant. I don't want to go down that, that rabbit trail, but most of the pain in your life comes from the misuse of your sexuality. We went around this room. We said, well, what, why is my father not around? Because he didn't know how to control himself. Right. He just, he thought since sexuality was a recreational sport. Right. Um, So it's, my own father's brokenness, where did that come from? His father didn't know how to think, didn't know how to keep his marriage together, right? So worldviews have massive consequences. Let's so have a picture here. And your your worldview is all of your thinking about how it all fits together. And when you and I face a different issue, when I get arrested for speeding, what do I say? I say, I was speeding, and uh, I paid my fine because if people speed, people get hurt, and that's actually a pretty decent rule. I don't say stupid pig, cops, I hate cops, you know, whatever. I own it because, I right, different worldviews cause you to respond differently, and then people with the wrong view just gets them in more and more trouble. How people with the right, right view, when they step out of bounds, or even when something calamitous happens. They can process it. They can move on, have peace and joy. And ultimately, their life is fruitful. They make a good name for themselves. They don't have continually self-caused crises, etc. But your whole world, dude, like this guy's looking at this board, and this is just how he handles everything. It's how he thinks it all fits together. Jesus comes, and he just dynamites the whole thing. He says, you're crazy. You have no clue what you should be living for. <coughs> why I gave you sexual, how money works, what kind of people you should be hanging around with. When you have no clue. You're insane. It's not just about I'm a sinner. I need to this in my heart. I need him to forgive me. And then I'll just figure it out from here. No, it's I need him to totally restructure my worldview. And I'll say this without going into too much detail. At the very center of it is your vision of God. And even after you're saved, a lot of people have that wrong. And that affects everything and cause you to come with all the wrong answers. So... But I'll leave that alone and I'll move on here. So uh I love, I don't know if I should say this. I always feel a little guilty when I say this, but I love the first Matrix movie. The other ones, the other ones, no, they're not, not even close. I love the original Matrix movie, and that's all about a paradigm shift. Dude thought the world worked one way and then realized it doesn't work that way at all. That's what Jesus does to us. We don't, we don't accept Christ and start following Jesus because we need a little tweaking. We follow Jesus because we need our whole brain dynamited and reconstructed. Our whole vision of everything, we need it dynamited and reconstructed. <clears throat> and so, it's really that moment where Morpheus is like, take the, the, the red pill or the blue pill. Do you want to know the truth, or do you want to keep living in your deceived, destructive delusion, where you're basically just, it's interesting in the movie, uh, some of the freedom fighters called Neo, they call them Copper Top. I don't know if you caught that. Because you're just a battery. You're just fueling this big deluded system of evil. That's why they call them Copper Top. Because that was the name for Duracell. And I don't know if they still call them Duracell. But anyway. Because um, Duracell's a like Copper Top. You ever seen them? Copper Top. Anyway. So you basically said to Neo, you're just, you're just a battery. Do you, would you actually like to break out of this delusion and be a freedom fighter? I I love that analogy and uh, that that whole process he goes through. They say, we usually can't do this with older people. Quite frankly, uh, look around you at the age of the people in this church. Almost everybody's under 30. Because once you get over 30, it's almost impossible to change your worldview. And uh, some of the ideas that I'm bringing to you guys from Jesus, like prayer moves God, stuff like that. Go to the poor, that kind of stuff. People over 30 said, look, I've already got my I've already got my wineskin kind of in place and I don't have any room for those kind of ideas. So I'm going to go to a church that lets me just pass me on the head, lets me keep my worldview. And it's only that's why I like working with people in their 20s. That's when God got a hold of me and destroyed what I thought. I, I had two theological degrees. and He said, why aren't you why don't you have any concern for the poor? You know, but. That I read the Bible and I was like, have I been blind? So stuff like that. And so when I was in my 20s, I just let him ransack my worldview, redo it, and then things got really fun. And uh, but I found that people over 30 they're done. They don't, they don't for the most part. Sorry, Tim, Melissa, a journalist, <laughs> there's some people in here. I'm like, no, you're not but if you want to follow Christ, you have to have a young heart and you have to keep that childlike. You know, attitude of learning and not be an old wine skin and most people can't do it and so even in the movie it was very traumatic and they said that about us and most people when they get to the stage we can't do this with them you can do it with a child really easy but she said unless you become like a child do you want to know how it really works that's why i'm encouraging you guys memorize the words of jesus memorize them Memorize the entire Sermon on the Mount, the longest sermon he ever gave, and then pray through it. And say, Jesus, what does this mean for me? What is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Blessed are those who mourn. What does it mean? Blessed are you and men revile you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account. What does that mean, Jesus? How does that apply to me? It means if they treated me Poorly, they will treat you poorly if you're seeing things clearly. These are Jesus' words. Everything you believe, you should be able to back up with the words of Christ. And if you do, you're going to be in the game. You're going to be winning the game. And again, I don't want to talk too much about the matrix, but you're going to be like somebody that's actually making a difference while most people are walking around like cattle headed for the slaughter. Even born-again people. I'm not saying they're not going to heaven. I'm saying they're irrelevant and they're not going to be change-makers. I'm not interested in that. So Jesus, teach me. I want to have that childlike heart. Show me where I'm wrong. So uh, let's see here. What else do I got? Um, this is, these are just, I like the big themes of scripture. And this is just a continual theme: humility, childlikeness. Let, let God destroy what you think you know so he can teach you. And then back it up with the teachings of Jesus. Um, look what Jesus said about the know-it-alls. The Ph.D.s, the ordained clergy. That's not saying they're all bad, but if they're good, they have to have this childlike aspect to them, and they had to go through the process of being smashed to the ground at some point. I praise you, Father of Lord. Of, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. The know-it-alls can't see them. Why? There's no room for any new wine in their system. You've revealed them to infants, babies. Yes, Father, this was well pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. What was Jesus all about? No one knows. There's a million different perspectives on who Jesus was, what he was. Um, No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. What's God all about? Who is God? What's God's will? How does he do things? Why does he do things? determined to reveal them. It chooses to reveal them. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. Anyone weary, heavy burdened? Been weary, heavy burdened? Tired of life? Smashed up against too many walls? If not, we'll keep smashing. And then someday Jesus will just say, (laughs) when you're tired out, you know, plenty of religious people. Exhausted. I literally almost killed myself with my crazy view of religion. Bible-centered, Jesus-centered religion. I almost killed myself. With the legalism and the rules and the doing it wrong. Come to me, all you heavy laden. I'll give you rest. So when you do get it right, you find rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's not an egg yoke, it's a yoke you put on a beast of burden. Learn from me. I'm gentle. Is your God gentle? Amen, sister. He said so gentle. <laughs> humble. Jesus is gentle. Is your God humble? What? God's not humble. He's just lightning bolts shooting out of his fingers. He's commanding angels and sending tsunamis. And how do you know? Know it all? You said he's gentle and humble. So if you get tired of that view of your harsh God and your heavy load, maybe come to Jesus sometime and say, I must be getting it all wrong with my. Knowledge of Greek and Hebrew—that's precisely what I did. I knew Greek and Hebrew, and won awards and had degrees. And I'm getting it wrong, Jesus. You know, and and it's all hopeless. But they're determined. I'm right. My view is right, and it's misery and chaos. But one of the big tests for me—the test is kind of—it's multiple. I like the Wesleyan quadrilateral. I think that's cool. You know, use good thinking, use the scripture, look the history for people that agree with you. But the, the final one is, is your experience. Is this stuff working for you? Because Jesus said, your yoke will be easy, your burden is light. I know Christians, born again Christians, and again, at this point I keep saying, I know this is going to offend people. It's like, I don't care. because I'm, I'm too old. I can't mess around anymore. There's people who are like, I have my depression. There's my pet monster. I know I'm right. I know my theology is perfect. Um, somehow I have depression and perfect theology. Does that make sense in light of what Jesus said? My yoke is easy. I got anxiety, but don't tell me my theology is wrong. I'm bound up in some <coughs> sin habit, but don't tell me my theology is wrong. One uh, of the tests, no, I'm not saying we're perfect and we all stumble in many ways, but your life should be characterized by inner fruit and outer fruit. What are the inner uh, uh, effects of your worldview? Should be peace and joy. If that's not going on, I'm not saying you're not saved because you're saved by believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Getting saved is easy, but you would go read first Corinthians, there's some crazy saved people <coughs> because they're functioning with the same worldview they had before they were saved in a lot of areas of their life. But as you grow and you follow Jesus, he gives you an- answers, you untangle the knots, you throw your meds in the trash. Some people find this so offensive. The devil loves that. Because even when I say that, you know, you know what's going on with those people. They have a clash of worldviews. They think they're right, and I think I'm right. And, and I say, but I've walked people out of crazy that used to think like you. And I think you're protecting something that Satan's doing in your life. And, and again, that just makes them furious. You don't, I had a missionary tell me when I was in my 20s, You're going to just have to live with your depression. It's your thorn in the flesh. Praise God, I'd read enough scripture. I said, baloney, forget that noise. I am not going to receive that. I'm going to beat this thing because I'm supposed to have peace and rest and joy unspeakable and full of glory and righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I'm quoting scripture here. So I I, I at least got the words in my head. So I knew what I should be aiming at. What's the fruit? So that's the internal fruit. What's the external fruit? How are your relationships? I got it right. It's just that everybody hates me because they're all stupid. And so I don't go to church because everybody (laughs) in the world is stupid and I'm the only one that has a corner on it. If you're all by yourself and you don't go to church, you're sick. You're demented. It's very, very offensive. But but it's, uh, it's just the truth. Your external fruit is you don't know how to live in peace with people because you don't have the tools because your worldview is screwed up. Now, you're never going to find the perfect church. Well, this one's pretty darn good. This is a pretty great church. It's really easy because you guys are serious. But if you're looking for the perfect church, I didn't make this joke up. Don't join it because you'll screw it up. Right? There's no perfect church. But you got to be in church and you got to love God's people because they help you grow and you help them grow because you're all imperfect. But what's your internal fruit? What's your marriage like? What are your kids like? (laughs) there's people who say this couple they're just so godly so perfect so wonderful but they're 10 kids i don't know why they're just wild animals they're just crazy they're chewing on the furniture they're in rehab they're in prison but they're just perfect they're wonderful christians i said no they they're they're missing some pieces they got some problems with their worldview because their external fruit is breaking down i'm not saying that a christian family can't have a kid that goes off the rails every now and then but if you got a whole slew of them you got a whole tribe of them you don't know how to do it Internal fruit, external fruit, your dating relationships, your marriage relationships, your relationship with your kids. It should be mostly good. Mostly good. You just need some tweaking. Same with your inner life. What's your fruit? Um, some of you just need to be saved. You've never gotten right with Jesus, so you're not even on this track to learn from him. And Jesus says, come to me. Talk to me today. There's no, nothing more fun Than leading someone into the kingdom, except watching that person thrive in the kingdom, that may be more fun, actually. I prefer that. I get to lead a lot of people to Christ, but it's kind of sad because some people take a long time for them to get off the ground and actually start listening and go into this learning mode. But if you're here, you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, let him forgive you. Let him give you a new heart today. Maybe maybe, Maybe you're too proud. You're like, well, I prayed a prayer. My life's in total chaos, and I won't. I'm just not going to admit it. Just admit it. Just say, maybe I got it wrong. The Bible tells you to do that. Examine yourself. Make sure you're in the faith. And then for those of you who are saved, some of you have lost your childlikeness. You're a know-it-all. You just want to argue. You just want to be right. And you don't care that your ship is sinking. But the thing that got my attention was I don't have that inner peace, that inner joy, that inner satisfaction that Jesus said I should have. And so I just started praying, Jesus, I must be off seriously somewhere. And he was more than happy to show me, but I had to kick it into that childlike. That's right. Father, we come before in Jesus' name. Lord, help me to be childlike. Like song, what is it, 131? My heart is not proud. My eye's haughty. I don't involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me. I've composed and quieted my soul within me like a wean child rests against his mother. My soul is like a wean child within me. Make me like that little child, Lord. Open, teachable, humble, not having to be right, knowing that I'm safe, as long as I'm listening to you. And I pray that everybody in here, Lord God, if there's someone here who doesn't have peace with you today, they'd enter into the covenant, make it so easy. But for all of us, Lord, help us just to keep that open, teachable gear, um, or just where our hearts just want to hear. We love you. Um, We commit this into your hands. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We pray this in your name. Amen.